Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When Israel died, Joseph's brothers were afraid. They were afraid that it was only because of their father that Joseph had treated them kindly. They thought, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. They knew well what they had done, and they knew now that Joseph, second only in power to Pharaoh, could pay them back with as much evil or more and suffering as they inflicted upon him. And so, despite seeing for 17 years how well Joseph had treated them, they sent a messenger ahead of them to Joseph to repeat their father's command in order to compel him to pardon them. But Joseph needed no reminder of this. He was truly his father's son and truly a servant of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He showed mercy to his brothers, saying, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as it is to this day. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. With this and other sayings, he comforted them and showed them mercy and compassion. In our gospel lesson this morning, we heard our Lord say, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. And this frames the rest of our lesson. Everything else, he says, is an explanation of what it is to be merciful, even as our Father is merciful. And in this, we see a great truth which shines before us, brilliant as the sun, as your Father, he says. Here, our Lord is addressing us with our redemption and salvation in mind. He does not say, as my Father is merciful, he does not say, as the Father is merciful, even though both are true. Instead, he says, as your Father is merciful. He holds this before us so that we may grab onto it and take it and take comfort from it and strength from these words. For we can only call God our Father if we have been saved by his grace through faith in Christ Jesus, who gave himself as an offering for sin. We can only call him our Father if we have been, by faith, united to Christ Jesus, his Son. This teaching our Lord speaks to us as his Christians, as those who have been redeemed by his precious blood and have been justified by grace through faith and are being sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so he says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. In this, he is contrasting the way in which God is merciful to the ways of the world. And the mercy of the world is really no true mercy at all, no true compassion, but rather an aping at it and a poor imitation. The world is quick to revenge and to executing this revenge itself. How many songs shoot to the top of the charts, no matter which genre, about getting revenge on an ex? How many quickly do how quickly do people on all sides of the political spectrum seek to tear someone down for a fault, combing through old writings or public appearances to find something for which to cancel them? 
The world's mercy is not being with the sick and with the dying, comforting them, being present, but instead killing them. The world sees it as a mercy that the poor and the disabled should die in the womb rather than helping them in their poverty and assisting them in their life, no matter how short or difficult. No, this is not mercy. This is taking life into our hands, or it is seeking vengeance and ensuring people get what they deserve, or more. And this is not how our Lord wants his Christians to be. Rather, we are to be, or to become, merciful, even as our Father is merciful. Our Father did not give our first parents, Adam and Eve, what they deserved when they sinned. He fulfilled his threat. He did inflict a spiritual death on them when they sinned, but he did not immediately hand them over to physical death, even though that is what they deserved. Instead, he was merciful to them, covered them in their shame, and promised them a savior. And our Father's mercy is beyond all that which we can imagine. And St. Paul pictures this beautifully in Romans chapter 5. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Such is the love and mercy of God, that even though we deserve nothing but wrath, death, and hell, he still sent his Son to take upon himself the sins of the world and to die for us in our stead, to atone for our sins by his passion, so that by faith in him, his perfect obedience becomes our obedience, his righteousness, our righteousness, his death, our death, his resurrection to life, our promise of life. He has shown us mercy. He has called us from death to life. He has promised us new life through the waters of holy baptism, the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, and the birth from above by water and spirit. And these promises are grasped by faith and thus accomplished by the Holy Spirit. And so as persons purchased and won by the blood of Jesus, we are told to always keep this in mind when we deal with our neighbors, with all fellow men. For if he has had such great mercy on us, who are we to show less than mercy to our neighbors? And so our Lord continues to explain what this mercy looks like. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, it will be put into your lap. For with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And while these, four, and while these are four statements, they can be broken up into two parts which complement each other. The first has to do with neither judging nor condemning, but forgiving, and the second has to do with liberal giving. Judge not, and you will not be judged, is a precious word from our Savior, but it has often been twisted and mutilated by those who seek to bring division into the church by false doctrine and practice. This command from Christ is not an absolute command, because there is a time for judging, 
In fact, our Lord has given those times to us himself, and he has said so. If this word is an absolute command, and it is meant in that way that it is so often misinterpreted, then not only would the prophets be condemned, but our Lord himself. By no means may we think that. No, there is a time for right judgment when dealing with doctrine and church discipline, and that is good and fruitful. But that's not the context that our Lord is speaking in this morning, in our lesson. Rather, he's speaking of how we are to orient our lives as his people, redeemed from our sin and saved from this fallen world. He commands us that our lives are not to be ordered by judgment and condemnation of others, but by forgiveness. These are all aspects of mercy, of being merciful even as our Father is merciful. We are not to set ourselves up as judges of our fellow men or of our neighbors, of our brothers and sisters, but we are to be merciful to them, remembering the mercy which God has had towards us. We are not to set ourselves up as judges like the Pharisees did, who judged very much like the world judges today, judging harshly with enemies and those who are outside of their camp and passing a sentence of absolute condemnation, all while judging softly and acquitting themselves and their friends. This is the way of the world. It makes sense. It's practical. It appeals to our sinful nature. We want ourselves and our friends to look good. We want our friends to reward us, and we want our enemies to be punished and ashamed. But this is not what God has called us to do. Rather, we are to be merciful, even as our Father is merciful. He sent his Son to save the world, to save you. You were in a place that if God had judged you, you would be condemned. But he sent his son to take your sin upon himself so that by his self-offering, his self-sacrifice, we may be forgiven by faith in him. So too we are to treat our neighbors with the same long-suffering patience and mercy. How many times must I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? How many times, dear brothers and sisters, has the Lord forgiven you? Our sins against the Lord are far greater and far more numerous than any one person's against us. It is the wicked and evil servant, our Lord says, who, having a great debt forgiven, seeks out to exact every penny from someone who owes him far less. Instead, we are to be merciful. We are not to set ourselves up as judges, not to condemn our neighbors, but be merciful to them. The world is only merciful to its friends and those who can return the favor. But our Lord desires that we be merciful to all, even to our enemies and those who sin against us. When they ask us for forgiveness, forgive. But what if that leads them to taking advantage of our mercy? Then we continue to be merciful, even as our Father is merciful to us. What if they don't deserve it? Then you continue to be merciful to them, even as God is merciful to us, who do not deserve his mercy. Let us continue to be merciful and commit our cause to God. If there is any wrongdoing, if there is any justice necessary, he will bring it about. He is the true and just judge. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 
If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, St. Paul writes in our epistle this morning. The blessed reformer writes of the tree, that when it's picked of its fruit, it does not grow thorns and briars in the next year in retaliation to mete out harm on the one that harmed it and took its fruit, but rather it continues to grow fruit for the nourishment of the one who picked it. Thus, the Christian overlooks their neighbor's faults and offenses that do not concern them, for love covers a multitude of sins. And when we are sinned against, the Christian in mercy makes the offender know of their sin, makes them aware of it out of love for them and the danger which they have brought upon themselves by this, in order that aware of their sin, they may ask for forgiveness, and the Christian may then forgive. Thus our Lord defines mercy. But he also continues saying, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is the mercy that we are probably the most familiar with in our day when we think of mercy or speak of mercy work. It is the mercy which everyone knows as being kind and friendly to your neighbor, sympathizing with him and taking to heart his misfortunes, whether of soul or body or honor or goods, and endeavoring to help him with a cheerful heart in deed and in truth, as Luther says. Or to put it another way, as Augustine says, it is the mercy by which the Christian becomes the granary of the poor. This mercy is the mercy of liberally giving in all of its forms, not only of alms, although certainly of alms, but also of time, of presence, of sympathy, of rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep, and all that is said before applies here as well. This mercy which is demonstrated through giving is not only given to our friends and those from whom we expect something in return, no, that is not mercy at all. Rather, it's giving to those that we expect nothing in return from. Giving even though others, or even ourselves, corrupted by sin, may think that they don't deserve it. Giving even though they may not use what we have given them on what we think they should use, at what they should use it. It is giving that sees their need and desires to fill it, no matter who they are in relation to us. For this is how God gives in his mercy. He makes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. He gives daily bread not only to Christians but to all people. If our Father does this, we ought to as well. As our Lord says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Our God has arranged the world so that it's easy for us to know what to do in this case. For there are two kinds of people who he has created in respect to almsgiving, those who give and those who receive. If we are not receiving, then let us give, just as our Father has so mercifully given to us. For it is better to give than to receive, says our Lord. And so our Lord attaches a promise to this. Give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, 
will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is consistent with the promises found throughout Scripture, such as Psalm 41.1, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. And Proverbs 19.17, Whoever is generous with the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Now, let us not think, brothers and sisters, that this is in some way earning salvation or earning material good from God. No, let us remember that this is Christ speaking to Christians, to people whom he has already saved by his grace. Rather, this is in light of how God, in his mercy, promises to eternally reward people, his people, for their good works in Christ. Not because they have earned anything, but rather as a crown of his grace and mercy. As it says in the Revelation to St. John, the deeds of those who die in the Lord follow them. Even this is God's mercy and his grace, for our deeds are so imperfect and still tainted by sin. He does not need to do this. He does not need to reward them, but he promises to do so for the people whom he has saved with whatever measure we use in our alms and other giving, he will give back even more generously in the resurrection. As he has said in a somewhat contradictory way, just to show how great his giving back is, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Let us then always keep God's mercy before us. How he has sent his son to die for us, even though we don't deserve it. How he daily and richly cares for us and provides for us, though we do not deserve it. How he forgives our sins for Christ's sake through faith, even though we do not deserve it. For Christ also warns us, brothers and sisters, if we judge, condemn, do not forgive and do not give, if we are, in a word, unmerciful, then God will, on the last day, withdraw his mercy from those who despise him. Let us then repent if we ever find ourselves, the, if we ever find in ourselves the old Adam inciting us against mercy, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, repent and return to the Lord, who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Flee to him whose grace and mercy is not fleeting like the world's, but is so great that he sent his son to save the world and die for your sins. In his mercy, he has given you his holy word, that through his Holy Spirit working in the word, he may strengthen you in that saving faith and keep you in it by his grace until your end. May God grant this to all of us out of his grace and mercy. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.